Have you come across information about dopamine therapy for Parkinson's disease that concerns you? Have you heard conflicting information about whether the dopamine replacement treatment needs to be started now versus later? Well, stay tuned to this episode to learn more about this very important topic regarding dopamine therapy for Parkinson's disease. Hello, and welcome to the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast. This podcast is produced for care partners and caregivers of loved ones with Parkinson's disease. This show is brought to you by Dr. Kloss's new book, a better Parkinson's disease caregiver than you think. Please visit pdcaring.com for more information. Friends, thank you for joining me on today's episode entitled Levodopaphobia. I want to spend some time today talking about a very important subject that can lead to substantial problems for patients with Parkinson's disease that come from myths and misconceptions about the mainstay of treatment for the disease that are pervasive on the internet, in support groups, and patients, caregivers, and care partners are hearing this information or reading this information, and this is leading to a lot of problems ultimately for the patient. I spend a lot of my time in the clinical practice, counseling patients and families about these myths and trying to help them understand the truth regarding the dopamine therapy that we prescribe. So today's show will concentrate on dopamine and the truths about the medication that we have now offered for over 50 years for our patients with Parkinson's disease. One of the most important discoveries so far in the treatment of Parkinson's disease was that a neurotransmitter called dopamine becomes deficient in the brain, and this leads to the symptoms of Parkinson's disease, especially at the time of diagnosis. Scientists discovered that a pill containing a medication called levodopa could be taken by patients, and this levodopa would be transported into the brain and converted into pure dopamine. An additional medication was added to this pill called carbidopa, which helps this medication of levodopa get into the brain and also to help prevent some of the side effects that we see with the medication. This combination of carbidopa-levodopa was FDA-approved back in 1969 and has been the gold standard treatment for Parkinson's disease. Over the years, many myths and misconceptions have developed regarding dopamine therapy for Parkinson's, and I still hear many of these myths in the clinic. Perhaps the most common myth is that carbidopa-levodopa will stop working after about five years of use. Friends, there's no truth to this myth. Carbidopa-levodopa will continue to work throughout the entire course of the illness. 
We see patients that have had Parkinson's for over 20 or 30 years still experiencing great benefit from this medication for the treatment of certain symptoms. So we see lasting benefit for symptoms such as tremor, stiffness, and slowness of movement. Over the course of the Parkinson's disease progression, it's possible that patients will develop other motor problems as well as non-motor symptoms, and these problems may not respond to dopamine replacement therapy. This can give patients the false impression that carbidopa levodopa is no longer working because now some other symptoms are causing troubles that are not responsive to this medication. If a patient tries to stop dopamine therapy at one of these later time points, they will often quickly find that the medication was indeed helping them, and they will quickly go back on the dosing that they were receiving before. So carbidopa levodopa continues working throughout the course of the illness, and even at the late stages of the illness, we continue this medication because it can provide comfort for the patient to improve muscle stiffness, sometimes pain that comes from muscle contractions, and to try to help a patient with their movement, particularly in bed and getting in and out of a chair. Now, over 10 to 20 years of disease progression, it's understandable due to the disease progression itself that the dopamine may not provide as robust of a response as it did early on in the course. We also find that this medication may not last as long as it used to. So we know that for many, many years after a patient is first prescribed carbidopa levodopa, they will go into what's called a honeymoon period. During this time, they don't have to take very many doses of carbidopa levodopa, and it seems that each dose lasts sometimes eight hours or longer. But over time, as the illness progresses, the duration of each dose of carbidopa levodopa may become shorter and shorter. We can see patients experiencing wearing off of this medication benefit after three or four hours, and then as time goes on, it may become even less and less. We call this problem motor fluctuations, where there is a response to the medication that will last for a period of time, and then it will wear off, allowing Parkinson's symptoms to return, and this will require more frequent dosing throughout the day. Now, a second myth that I hear regarding this medication is that the medication should be saved for later. And many patients or caregivers will say, well, we've heard this medication only lasts for five years, so what we'd like to do, since it's the best medication for Parkinson's disease, we would like to wait until a later time in the illness to use this medication, and for now, we'd like to use a different medication as long as we can. Well, what we have learned from this is that there's really no long-term advantage to waiting on introducing this medication. 
In fact, this may be detrimental to the patient's health. A study that was published back in 1987 in the Annals of Neurology by Diamond and colleagues showed that the longer patients take carbidopa-levodopa therapy for Parkinson's disease, the longer they live. So the longer you wait to introduce carbidopa-levodopa therapy seems to shorten the life expectancy of the patient. Another myth that I hear often is we need to keep the dose as low as possible so that we can avoid complications later through the course. These complications could include this motor fluctuation problem, but also a problem called dyskinesia. Dyskinesia is where a patient develops involuntary movements. These can occur in just one area of the body, such as a hand or a head movement, or it could be generalized and involve the entire body. It turns out that the development of these motor complications of dyskinesias and motor fluctuations depend upon how long a person has had Parkinson's disease, not how long they have been taking the medication. There was a very good study that was published from the Mayo Clinic that looked at this issue. They took advantage of a group of patients that were diagnosed prior to the release of carbidopa-levodopa therapy on the market in the 1970s. So these patients had had Parkinson's disease for about 10 years prior to the medication coming on the market. And they found that almost immediately as these patients were prescribed carbidopa-levodopa therapy 10 years into the illness, about 40-some percent developed the dyskinesia and motor fluctuation complication. They then compared another group that received carbidopa-levodopa shortly after diagnosis in the 1970s, and then they were followed for 10 years. And after 10 years of therapy, they found about the same percentage of patients, roughly about 40% of these patients, developed the same complications. So it did appear that it was not the duration of use of the medication that led to the complications, but instead the time that a patient has had the disease. We, they also found that the development of these motor complications seems to be related to the age of onset of Parkinson's disease for the patient. So the later in life that a patient is diagnosed with Parkinson's disease seems to reduce the risk of these motor complications. In fact, we see that when patients are diagnosed in their 70s and 80s, their risk of developing these motor complications may be as low as about 10%. In addition, when someone develops dyskinesias, we find that they're usually quite easy to treat. Often we can reduce the carbidopa-levodopa dosing to alleviate the dyskinesias, or we can add additional medications to treat the dyskinesias. Only in about 
10% or so of patients that have troublesome dyskinesias may require a more advanced therapy such as deep brain stimulation surgery to control this complication. So the vast majority of people that do develop dyskinesias and motor complications, we are able to uh, treat these problems effectively with the treatments that we have on the market. So overall, what we have learned about carbidopa levodopa over the years is that this is still the most important treatment for Parkinson's disease patients. The dose should not be limited. The dose should not be delayed. And it turns out that the medication continues to work throughout the course of the illness, not for a five-year limit. Recently, a patient and care partner came into the office and agreed that they wanted to start the carbidopa levodopa therapy to treat the motor symptoms that we were discussing. But their question was, which form should we start? They were aware that there is a immediate release form of carbidopa levodopa that comes in a yellow tablet. There's also a controlled release carbidopa levodopa therapy. They had also learned about a capsule called Ritari, which is a controlled release form of carbidopa levodopa. And they were also aware of a pump system that is on the market called Duopa, in which a gel of carbidopa levodopa is pumped into the digestive tract through a pump that's worn on the outside of the body through a tube that goes into the digestive tract. And they also had learned about a new rescue therapy called Embrisia, where a inhaled dose of carbidopa levodopa goes into the lungs, although they realized that this was a rescue therapy. And finally, there is a combination pill that combines carbidopa levodopa with a booster drug called entacapone that helps the carbidopa levodopa last longer. In our clinical practice, we recommend that all patients starting on carbidopa levodopa therapy for the first time use the formulation, which is the immediate release carbidopa levodopa 25-100 milligram tablet. This is the standard treatment used to treat Parkinson's disease. It's really the best formulation to use at the beginning because patients will typically enter this honeymoon period and will have great uh, longevity from each dose and a great response from the medication. Therefore, these other forms are not necessary during this honeymoon period. We may choose to switch to a controlled release form, or we may use combination medication, or even Duopa in the later years of the illness when complications develop for those individuals. But for some patients, like one I saw recently that had had Parkinson's disease now for 35 years, he was still taking the same dose of carbidopa levodopa 25100 immediate release tablets three times a day, just like when he started the medication over 30 years ago. So for him, there was no reason 
to use a more complicated formulation or to take uh, medication more often or to even worry about the use of the medication since he has been benefiting from the drug and only this medication for the last 30 plus years. When we start carbidopa-levodopa therapy using the immediate release formulation, we recommend that patients start with one tablet taken three times a day on an empty stomach. We spend lots of time counseling our patients on the importance of taking this medication on an empty stomach to avoid the potential impact of protein in the diet which can restrict the absorption of the medication into the brain. If a patient ends up taking carbidopa-levodopa with a meal full of protein, they will still get the medication in the brain, but the response may be cut in half, and therefore we want every patient to benefit from each dose, so we recommend that they do the best that they can to take the medication on an empty stomach. They can take the dose of carbidopa-levodopa one hour before a meal or more. And then if a meal is taken, they should wait two hours after the meal or longer before taking a dose of medication. Patients will typically take this medication three times a day, one hour before each of the three meals. I have seen lots of variations in patients taking this medication, such as they might take the first dose first thing in the morning, a second dose perhaps mid-afternoon, and then a third dose at bedtime. Although there's nothing wrong with this, uh, the dosing, the spacing between doses may be too long, and we want to really give the patient the best responses from this medication while they are awake during the daytime. So the strategy of using it one hour before each meal seems to work quite well. In the honeymoon period, if a patient forgets to take a dose, which is not unusual, then after they go ahead and eat, they will wait two hours and then take the dose that they missed. This may require shifting the third dose to later in the day so that the doses are not too close together. These doses should be separated by at least three or four hours, and so be careful not to end up taking two doses too close together. If a dose is forgotten completely, and now the end of the day, we remember that we had missed a dose or two, uh, certainly a, a single dose could be taken before bedtime and then start over again with the routine the next day. After about a week of taking the one tablet three times daily, if the patient's motor symptoms have not improved optimally, then we ask them to increase the dosage to one and a half tablets three times a day. Each week, they may continue to increase the dosing by a half a tablet, and typically when they get to three tablets three times a day, this is the point of diminishing returns. We ask patients to stop at the dose that provides the most optimal benefit without side effects. 
If side effects develop, then a patient may need to reduce the medication back a half a tablet to the previous level. A patient of mine about a year ago came into the office and he had been using two tablets of the 25-100 immediate release medication for several years and was doing quite well on this dosage. But now the Parkinson's symptoms were coming back and he was having more difficulties with tremor. He tried raising the dose to two and a half tablets three times a day, but his tremor did not improve. So he booked an appointment with me, came into the office, and he said, well, it looks like this medication is not controlling my tremor any longer. I would like to have a consultation with one of the deep brain stimulation surgeons to discuss this treatment as my next option. I told him, well, before we do that, let's just make sure that we are getting the most out of this medication possible. And I asked him to go ahead and increase the medication further to three tablets three times a day. He did that and called me back a couple weeks later and said, well, sorry to tell you, the medication still has not helped. I'm not having any side effects, but the tremor is still there despite taking three tablets three times a day. I said, okay, well, let's try one more dose increase. Let's go to three and a half tablets three times a day. And I remember on the phone, he said, no, gosh, I think we've pushed it far enough. I just don't think it's going to help. Why don't we just go ahead and send in the referral to the surgeon? And I said, well, I'd be happy to do that, but just please give me one week. Just try one more dose level change before we decide to move in that direction. So he agreed, and about two weeks later, I received a phone call from him, and he said, you're not going to believe this. I increased to three and a half tablets three times a day, and my tremor is completely gone. He said, I can't believe just an extra half a tablet of this medication can make such a difference. And so, even to this day, we've been able to continue controlling his tremor with this medication and not requiring a surgical procedure so far. So, it's well worth the effort to work with your healthcare provider, try to optimize the medication so that you get the most benefit without any unwanted side effects. If the medication is wearing off too quickly, talk to your healthcare provider about other options, such as the controlled release forms or perhaps additional medications that can be added to the carbidopa levodopa to try to help it last longer and to provide a more robust response. So carbidopa levodopa continues to be the gold standard treatment for Parkinson's disease. In the medical field, we continue to try to help care partners and caregivers, as well as patients, understand that this medication is very important to improve symptoms, to improve quality of life, and ultimately 
to help life expectancy for the patient. We shouldn't be afraid of this medication. We shouldn't limit the dose or delay the use of the medication, as we have found that there's no advantage to any of these strategies, and we need to continue to reverse these type of myths and misconceptions that are out there, confusing patients and family members about this treatment. I hope today's episode was helpful in understanding more about this important medication. I continue to encourage you to work with the healthcare providers and your loved one in getting the best treatment for the motor symptoms of Parkinson's disease and to not be afraid of the most important therapy that can help them have the best quality of life. Remember, you are a better Parkinson's disease caregiver than you think. Thank you again for joining us today. Look forward to you joining us on the next episode. On the next episode, we will answer your questions. Please email any questions that you have regarding caregiving for a loved one with Parkinson's disease to pdcaringhelp at gmail.com. The email address is pdcaringhelp, no spaces, at gmail.com. We look forward to receiving your questions, and we will answer those questions on an upcoming episode. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. Head over to pdcaring.com for more resources. Please share this podcast with other fellow care partners and caregivers. Subscribe so you won't miss any shows.